some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman grew up learning how to be independent. She watched her mom struggle to leave a troubled marriage and vowed to herself she would always make her own way. After college, she went to work for a travel company and a few months later joined a well-known cruise line. She loved the industry and saw she was really good in sales. And as the years flew by, she joined a competitive cruise company where she rose quickly to the ranks of senior management. These days, she continues her path to greatness as a senior VP of sales, trade support, and service of a major cruise line. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Vicki Freed. Hi, Vicki. Thank you for joining me today. Well, hi, Annette, and thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And I have so much that I want to explore with you, Vicki, so we're going to jump right on in. You told me that early in life, you discovered more about what you didn't want as opposed to what you did want. So how has this approach helped you find happiness? Well, that's a big question. I think it's important uh, to know what you don't want and who you don't want to be, just as it is important to know what you want in life and the kind of person that you want to be and the leader you want to be. And we have so many opportunities to learn from people. Um, Maybe it's a leadership style you don't like, then you don't ever need to be that kind of a leader. So it's definitely helped me in life to know what I don't want and what I do want. You know, it's interesting, Vicki. I'm going to stay with this for a second longer because I find most people focus on trying to figure out what they want. And I've kind of been like you in in my journey. I have identified the things that I don't want. And sometimes the things that I want, I might not know about because I haven't experienced them yet. And so the danger of people focusing just on what they think they want, there may be another whole landscape out there they haven't even seen yet that they might want. That's so true. And, you know, I have three millennial children and uh, I have one child that, you know, has seen a boss be uh, very abusive and he has uh, used very foul language. He doesn't treat people nicely. And I've said to my son, well, see, this is really good. What you're learning is what you don't want. And I think that's just, as I said earlier, just as important. For sure. So it is important for women to claim their value in the workplace and at home. Have you found it more difficult to claim your value with women versus men? At times I have, you know, you see it, um, it goes in waves. And so sometimes women are harder on women, which is really a shame. We should all be rooting for one another and we should be supporting one another. Um, So I have seen that. And I've seen it particularly interesting enough with non-working women who are stay-at-home moms um, versus working women. And so you find that the stay-at-home moms and who are so privileged to have that opportunity, um, sometimes they make it a little rougher on the working moms um, because they say, well, you're not as good of a mom. You haven't been with your children, you know, 24 seven. And, uh, and I think we have to just let, let up on that. That's such 
bad karma um, for non-working moms to be putting that kind of pressure on working moms. And you don't see working moms putting that pressure on the non-working moms. If anything, you feel the working moms are the ones who feel the most guilt about working. But sometimes in life, we have no other options. And sometimes this is the best option for us um, to be out there in the workforce. And then your other part of the question was about men. Um, I think it's interesting. I I think men operate very differently in corporate America and in life in general. So I've recently taken up pickleball, love the sport, and I've only been playing for a few months. And what I've noticed is every time a woman that I, every time I play with women, every time a bad shot is made, they say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, you know, we have to stop being in the I'm sorry group. We can't say we're sorry because if men were playing, they would not be saying, I'm sorry, I, I, I messed up on that shot. They wouldn't. So we have to stop being girly and apologize because everybody's going to miss a shot now and then. And that same philosophy works in the workplace. We have to stop saying, I'm sorry. And we have to stop being or considering ourselves to be less than equal. What you've brought up is, a, is certainly a point of frustration for me because I see it so often in many of the different women that I coach and many of the different businesses that I've had over the years to support women. They can be so cruel. I almost sometimes think that we will struggle to ever get to where we want to as a race and as a group because we're too busy tearing each other apart. Do you ever feel that yourself? Yeah, I do. Um, I've had women uh, in my career when I, you mentioned my bio and, you know, I was 29 years with the first cruise line uh, and then I jumped ship and and went to a a competitor and I only left because my boss retired. I never thought I would go to a competitor. Um, I thought everything I, my twenties, thirties and forties were at carnival cruise lines, but then this competitor came after me and you realize your loyalty is not to a company, but to the people that you work with. So here I come to this new cruise line, Royal Caribbean, proud to be a part of Royal Caribbean. And, you know, it was a different culture. And thank goodness I had the industry knowledge and the respect of the industry. Because when I came over to Royal Caribbean, there was a woman um, who really tried to set me up to fail. And I suppose if I hadn't had the industry experience and the reputation that I brought over, um, she might have been successful. But boy, every which way I looked, that knife was in my back. And I had not been, I did not grow up in that kind of a culture. Um, and so I had to get used to it and understand a better approach to this individual. Eventually, this lady left um, the company. And so it, it wound up being okay. Uh, So at the end, it all works out. Do you think that um, this stabbing in the back type thing happens from men as well? And does it show up in a different format? Because I think it happens from men as well. But I do think it is more clandestine, perhaps. I think you're right. And even if a man doesn't want a woman involved in meetings, they'll just ignore that person. They'll just forget to invite you. And so we have to be a little bit more assertive, not aggressive. We just have to be a little bit more vocal saying, hey, you know, I'd like to be included in that meeting. But sometimes it's hard to find out when that meeting's taking place. So we have to always be aware of our surroundings. And that leads me into the next question beautifully, because most of your dealings during your career have been with men. 
And you told me that you often have to insert yourself in meetings to get included. So for those listening, how would you tell them to do this in a way that doesn't look like they're being too aggressive? Well, I think you just have to constantly be in the conversation and you have to insert yourself and you don't have to be dominating in the conversation. I think being a great listener is going to be the best skill you can have in business because as you listen, you will learn and you will hear and you will know when there's other opportunities. So I think you just have to, you know, say, oh, I'd really like to be a part of that meeting. I'd like to learn and just, you know, sit and, you know, listen to what's going on. And, you know, at that point, they're not really going to exclude you. Yeah, I've even used the line. That I'm sure that it was a, an oversight that you forgot to invite me. So, <laughs> and they don't know quite what to do with that, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then when you have the opportunity that somebody does include you, it is important to thank them later on. Say, so, you know, I was really grateful to be a part of that meeting. And I just want to say thank you for making sure I, I had a seat at the table. Now, that's beautiful. That's a great follow-up comment that can hold a lot of power in terms of positioning you in a favorable place, for sure. So moving on to the next question, leaders are often told it is best to pick the battles they want to fight. So has this been your approach and how do you choose which battles are worth fighting? And that is a great statement. And my boss, my current boss, is the president of Royal Caribbean. He gave me great advice. He, he does say, pick your battles. And he says, and he also says, and I love this, stay in your hula hoop. So, you know, don't start putting your nose into somebody else's business. You know, worry about your own hula hoop. And, you know, you can be a part of the conversation and listen, but don't go trying to tell somebody in a different hula hoop what they should or shouldn't be doing. Um, so I, I think that's good advice. Hmm, that's interesting. So going back a little further, though, how do you choose which battles you choose to fight? How do you select the ones? Because there's well, many battles you could fight for sure. Yeah. And you don't want to be known in corporate America as a fighter. You want to be known as someone who's a colleague who wants to see the right outcome. So you, you do have to pick your battles and, you know, you have to really say, is it more important that I'm right? Or is it more important for the success of the team that I play nicely together? And, uh, and I hate using the word nicely because men wouldn't use that. So uh, <laughs> that I work well together with the team. Um, so I think you just pick your battles and everything doesn't have to be a battle. You just have to say how important really is this particular issue. Don't pick on the little stuff because the little stuff in the long run isn't going to matter. So during your career, Vicki, I'm curious, what has been the best and worst advice you've been given? Wow. Um, the best advice is probably, as I said earlier, be a great listener um, and have confidence um, even if you don't know something, you can learn it. Never let learning stand in the way. Um, and the worst advice, um, gosh, uh, that one's really, you know, that one's a tough one because um, I don't let bad advice. Yes, sneaking in? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Well, you had mentioned that when we had our previous talk that one of the pieces of advice that you had gotten was about that it doesn't matter what other people think. Do you feel like that somebody gave you that advice and maybe that was not good advice? Yeah, I think the difference between women and men is women, we hang on too long to things. Um, men move right away on. So, you know, if you didn't have a great meeting 
um, you have to stop dwelling on it. We have to just move on because the men have already moved on. So yeah, don't worry about everybody, what they think of you. Um, it, that, that's yesterday's news. So I'm going to spin off of that for a second because you hit on something that I think we women uh, struggle with big time, and that is letting go of things that ding us. And it could be a mistake that we've made. It could be a comment somebody's made. Uh, how do you move yourself off of it? Because you're exactly right. Men have, have moved on. They, they aren't in their head playing it over a thousand times. Well, I think it's hard. I think it's part of our DNA. Um, we grew up as little girls always holding on to things. So I think you, you do need to have a resource, a person that you can trust. Um, if it's a spouse, great. Um, if it's a girlfriend, great. Um, but somebody that you can just share how you're feeling and let somebody just talk you through it. Um, but don't make a big deal about this with your coworkers, because the more you make a big deal out of it, uh, the uglier it gets and you will never come out looking pretty in this one. Yeah, boy, that's a that's brilliant advice. It really is. You know, one of the things that I have seen also, Vicki, in corporate America, and I've seen it in other places, but particularly in corporate America, I've seen women make the mistake of when something doesn't go their way or they feel they have been hurt in some way, they will start to try to tell everybody about it behind the scenes as if they're looking for validation that what they're feeling is appropriate. Validate their feelings somehow. And it's a kiss of death when they do that. Have you seen this as well? I have. It is a kiss of death. Stop talking so much about it. If you need to get other people's view, then instead of saying, this is how I feel, and I really feel like it was wrong, just say, you know, Annette, I want to tell you about a situation that happened, and I'd like to just get your thoughts. Do you, how do you see the situation? And don't give your feelings. See, that's the thing with women. We're also about it's our feelings are hurt or, you know, forget it. Just go to a colleague and say, you know, this thing just occurred in this meeting. How do you think I should have responded? And look for insight as opposed to validation of your feelings. Absolutely. It is mm-hmm. about insight. Forget the feelings. That, that has to go because that doesn't work in corporate America. So you describe life for you, Vicki, as a circle that is filled with so much more than just career. So explain what this looks like for you and how you manage it all. Okay. Um, And I learned this from a very wise man, my mentor, my first boss um, that I worked for for 29 years at Carnival. He was the president of the company. He used to say, you know, don't let your job be everything in your life. Um, You have to look at your life as a circle and your job is an important part of that circle. It's a slice. It's a piece. It may be half of that circle, but if you make it your whole life, You will be really sorry in life because at the end of the day, um, your job doesn't keep you warm at night. You need to think about a husband or a family or a partner, um, your children. Also, you know, your religion, whatever religion it may be, plays a role. Your community service, giving back to others. I did not grow up in a family of um, parents that really taught us about charity, but boy, did I learn more about charity working for Bob um, because he says, you know, it's important to give back to your community because 
that's what's going to really matter at the end. And here I have a boss that retired from Carnival and, you know, he worked tirelessly to help the homeless in South Miami. That was his passion. And he still to this day at 75 years old is working to make sure that the homeless do not have to be on the streets and that they're part of Camilla's house. So, you know, he says, that's what you want to be remembered about. Um, you know, this week I had a resignation of a, somebody I worked with for 28 years. I actually brought her over to Royal Caribbean from Carnival and she's turning 60 this year. And she said, you know, I just decided I, I need to smell the roses. I, she, now this was a young woman when I met her 28 years ago that gave up having a family, having a life, because her career was everything to her. And so now at 60, she's pausing to say, you know what, when I reflect back on my life, and part of this was the COVID time that we're living through, a lot of people are reflecting on their life and what's important in their life. She realizes that she doesn't want to go on vacation and always have her laptop with her and always be checking emails and, and be working while she's on vacation. And so I think it is important to go back to that circle and draw it on a piece of paper and say, let me look at my life for a few minutes and where do the pieces of the circle fit? And if one part of the circle has too big of a slice, shrink it back if that makes sense for you. And that's how we achieve some kind of balance, isn't it? It is. You know, balance is a tricky part, you know, especially for working moms. Um, it's hard to balance life and home and family. Um, and that's another area that we have to just forgive ourselves. You know, I'll never forget. There was one Halloween that I wanted so badly to get home to be with my youngest son to take him trick or treating. And I, there was such a bad car accident and it was two hours in traffic and I missed going trick or treating with him. It was something that I always enjoyed. And I beat myself up. Look at to this day, this is my 26 year old and he must have been 10. And to this day, I still think about that. And do you think for a moment he thinks about that? He doesn't. And I think we just have to just not put so much pressure on everything. And you can't balance at all, but just do the best you can and be proud that you can do the best you can. Well, and recognize that scale is going to be sometimes heavier toward the career, sometimes heavier toward the family. And they're probably finding that perfect balance is probably unrealistic. But there is a way to manage it all, recognizing that through it all, you have to have some personal grace. So while we're in this space of being a mother, you've been a mother of three children. So what would you tell other women is the secret to becoming an executive while also being a mother? <laughs> well, it's hard, uh, but you can do it. You really can. So so what if you're not baking the cupcakes for the, uh, the school fair and that you're going to Costco and you're buying them and you're just dropping them off? It's okay. And you know what? Your children will respect you and they will learn more from you if, in the workplace because they will see that you're independent, that you're smart, that you're contributing. And, you know, I always think about something my youngest son said to me as uh, and I shared this with a group of people when I was receiving an award. And uh, when he is younger than his other brother and sister by six years. And so the other two were in college. And I sat there and I said to my youngest son one night when we were having dinner with my husband, I said, do you wish that I'd be a stay at home mom and I would have baked cookies, you know, every single day for you when you'd come home from school? And he said, you know, mommy, he says, I have to tell you, no, I'm so happy you work because through your job, we've been able to taste cookies from all around the world. 
And he says, your job has afforded us a lifestyle that gave us this opportunity. He says, so I don't want you baking cookies every day for me. I want you to do what you love so that we can experience and travel the world and taste those beautiful cookies from everywhere. So isn't that interesting? Because we as women sometimes, particularly women that are mothers, conjure up in their head that if they aren't baking the cookies and doing all the traditional roles that they saw on TV or from their mother or grandmother, then they're lacking in some way. And it's interesting that your son made that comment. And I would wonder if you surveyed other children, what their reaction would be, because you may find that other children would have the exact same reaction, that they aren't necessarily looking for their moms to be there for every moment of their existence, but are looking for that adventure and the role model of how they might show up in the world. I think that's so true. And I look at my three children, all very educated, all very successful in their careers. And uh, they will oftentimes say, you know, that both their parents, uh, me and my husband, we have been role models for them. And I think that's a beautiful compliment moms can have from their children is that you are a role model for me. Yeah. And somehow we conjure up that if we aren't raising the children every moment of their life, they're not going to turn out okay. I have no children, so I can make this observation from the outside for whatever it's worth. But but I certainly have friends that they have felt that they weren't there every moment, that somehow their kids were going to not be successful adults. Yeah. And it quite the opposite really happens. Um, when you're working, your children have to become more independent. They have to start their homework on their own. They have to start doing all those projects. That doesn't mean that you can't participate and help out. But they have to learn on their own two feet that they have a job and a responsibility as they're growing up. That's a very, very wise perception of that. Great insight there. So a negotiating approach for you is that of a win-win. So have you found this difficult to achieve? Um, I don't find that difficult now with my team. Um, We all support one another um, and we are all looking for the win-win. We're all after the same goal. But there are people in corporate America that do believe for them to win, somebody has to lose. And that's a really hard one to tackle. And I think it's important that we always keep the perspective that if I can support you and help you reach your goals, I'll by default reach my goals. And I think that kind of a win-win approach um, really does make a bigger difference in corporate America. Yeah. And when someone has to win and someone has to lose scenario, do you see that more with men versus women or do you think it's just people in general? I think it's people in general. Um, and I think it, it starts with leadership. Uh, I have a boss now, the president of Royal Caribbean, who is very inclusive and he wants everybody to play nicely in the playground. And we all do. And we all are there with the same goals of, you know, delivering great vacations to people and, and a good return on our investments. Um, and at the end of the day, he wouldn't tolerate win-lose. And so I think it starts with top senior leaders. Mm. We all have to demonstrate that whatever role we're in. So if you're middle management and you're listening to this, it is important that you still have that same approach with all of the people under you. Boy, we lose sight sometimes of how no matter where we are on the ladder of management, that we people are looking up to us and looking for how they are to behave, aren't they? Absolutely. And how we lead will determine how others lead. You are the example and the role model. So as a top executive, Vicki, do you struggle with self-doubt? 
Oh, I think many of us do, you know, and, and they've actually named that the imposter syndrome. And then we think sometimes like, you know, can we really do the job? And there's, there's a self-doubt. And, you know, again, we just have to get over that. And that really is something that women hang on to more, this imposter syndrome, like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. We just have to step in and just do the best we can. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody hits a, a ball out of bounds. And at the end, it's how you recover that makes the difference. I think that people see someone like yourself and other high-level executive women, and they assume that they never struggle with self-confidence and that this self-doubt never creeps in. But the more I talk to women at your level, the more I find out that is really not true. It's what you do with that self-doubt. You don't linger there. You don't make it your best friend, but it does creep in and you have to be aware of it and push it away. Right. You have to push it away, but it also should be something that motivates you as well. And it gets you to say, I can do this. I can do it. I really can. Even if you're thinking, no, I can't. No, I can't. can't. So do you have a self-talk that you start to dig into when that self-doubt creeps in? Absolutely. And I've been in this industry for decades and I speak to large groups of people. And every Wednesday uh, for the last 53 weeks, I've been doing a show, uh, a one hour webcast, and I uh, get somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 travel advisors that participate. And every day, every Wednesday, I get a little nervous right before the show starts. And I'm thinking, oh my God, can I do this? And I say, of course I can. But you do feel the butterflies in your stomach, no matter how long you've been doing this. And so uh, I actually think that's good. It makes you care more. Well, a little bit of edginess keeps you on your game, doesn't it? Absolutely. So Vicki, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Uh, I guess, you know, we oftentimes hear about the glass ceiling. And yes, I know that that does exist. So I'm not being Pollyanna here, but I do want to remind women Um, that when you look at the glass ceiling, just remember it's clear. And if you can just remember it's clear, then there's nothing that's really stopping you. And you just need to say every opportunity is there. It's not a ceiling where it's dark, um, but a glass ceiling allows you to break through it. And don't let that stand in your way because you can do it. You know, I was very fortunate in life. I, um, I had a mentor that really believed in me, even at times when I didn't believe in me. And he pushed me along and he inspired me and he gave me confidence by knowing that somebody else thought I could do it. Um, And I remember when I first, I went from um, a director to a senior vice president. So I missed that whole VP level and he believed I could do the job now. So the person I reported to as a director was the vice president. He now reported to me. And I remember when I first relocated from California to Florida for this big position, I mean, I was 36 years old. I was the senior vice president of sales and marketing for Carnival Cruise Lines. For the first year, every single day, I would go into my bathroom in my rental house while my husband was working in California, and I would throw up my guts every single day. And it was from the stress. I wasn't pregnant. It was from the stress of this new job that I didn't have the confidence that I could do. But 
Bob always believed I could do it. And finally, I stopped throwing up every day. Too bad I didn't lose weight. That would have been the best benefit. <laughs> but I, and I know women are listening to this and laughing and saying, yep. And every day got a little bit easier, but it was the stress of relocating. With At that time, I had two little kids. I had a husband that was commuting. It was a stressful. T- I was in a job that I thought was too big for me. But Bob believed in me. So, you know, nowadays, you know, I have a one piece of advice. It's hard to get mentors because the world is moving at such a fast clip. But I do believe, and I have shared this with my children, and I I talk to young people coming into the workplace, the interns that work at Royal Caribbean in the summer. And I say, you know what? All of you should think about having a board of directors. And that means you pick four or five people that you admire or respect as certain trait that they have or skill. And when you have a board, you could ask, you know, Annette, I really like this thing, you know, this particular area that you, you know, are so strong in. And I was wondering, would you consider being on my board of directors? And that way, if you pick four or five people, um, people will always have the time to give you a piece of them. But if you ask somebody to be a full-time mentor, that's really in this world asking too much today. I was lucky. I know it. But you got to remember back then life was much slower. And today I think it's just nicer to have a board of directors because you're going to learn from four or five different people, different skills. I think it's a big benefit. And I think that's brilliant advice to close down our interview on. Vicki, thank you so much for being so open with your journey and the wisdom that you've gathered along the way and for just being who you are. Thank you for that. Well, thanks for the opportunity. It's really been a pleasure. And Vicki is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds. Mm-hmm.